Love that, huh? All right, so we had two options for the opening story. It was either that or Ryan in an enormous drum major hat, uh, uniform, the cape, the scepter, the whistle, stepping vigorously and, you know, doing his thing just all the way across the front for at least five minutes. Which would you rather? Right? <laughs> the video, right? So uh, why do we do this? Uh, one of the most impressive things about what we saw today was not just the creativity and the, the Superman stuff. You can watch that on YouTube. Just look up OSU um, and, and their marching band and you'll see that. But what I find to be incredible about this example is I believe that it illustrates the kind of relationship that the Lord desires with us. You understand that, that, that on that field, there are roughly 195 individuals expressing themselves, playing different instruments, all having different roles, but all those different roles are in sync with one master design. In other words, this, this idea of being in sync with a, with a master conductor doesn't mean that anyone lost their identity, lost their skills, or had to, 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 to somehow quench their own abilities. They fully express them. In that moment, short, tall, white, black, Asian, right, rich or poor, we don't know anything about the families that were represented on that, on that, on that field. But, but what we do know is that all of that diversity came into some beautiful synchronization with some kind of master plan. They didn't put that together by their, their individual selves. There's one person who we never even saw. We may not even know they exist unless you know the history of the band or you went to the school. But there's a, there's a person behind all of that, a single individual that's bringing about that level of synchronization. And I believe that as we look at the Bible, we see a similar story. God created the, us, his creation, to be in sync with him. But due to sin, we got out of sync. We begin to do life based on the beat of our own drum. And when we did that, we created chaos. That's what sin is. Sin is, a, sin is. sin is being out of rhythm, being out of concert with God. And the Lord calls us to be in concert with him. So what exactly is God going to do now that we're no longer in sync with him? Well, being that that was always his original design, it was always his plan, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to actually show us what it means to live in sync. Today, when we look at our encounter with the Christ uh, in John chapter 5, we're going to look at two distinct encounters. And in both of those encounters, both the uh, paralyzed man as well as with the Pharisees, we're going to learn something about how the Lord Jesus Christ comes to create synchronization or to bring us back in sync with the Lord with whom we've lost our sense of concert. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. We completely hand ourselves over to you, recognizing that without you, we can do nothing. Even, Lord God, when we are at our absolute best, something is absolutely missing if we don't have relationship with you. It is only by way of your grace, it is only by way of your mercy that we are in any, any remote way able to reflect, Lord God, the original design and reason for which you created us. Help us this morning to understand what it means to be in sync with you. So today's passage, we read several verses from that, but the, uh, the larger story spans, of course, 47 verses. We didn't want to drag you through that uh, glass. We'll allow you to do that on your own time to love and enjoy God's word. But I believe we've captured a few things that allow you to appreciate the essence of what it means for Jesus to be the one who brings us into sync. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes, it, it is my belief that the, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and his life and the work that he does on the cross isn't just a gesture that is aimed at us. It is one that we are invited into. 
And as we are invited into that saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is about this. Jesus calls us to march to the beat of a different drum. Jesus is calling us, in relationship, Jesus is calling us to march to the beat of a different drum. It's the Father's drum. The creator who none of us have seen, but, but Jesus, like a great drum major, he establishes a tempo and a rhythm, and, 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 and we are invited to join him in that. Well, where are we getting that from? Is that really reflected in the scripture? Let's do our work and find out. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me in them to uh, John uh, chapter 5, beginning with verses 1 through 17. Now, verses 1 through 17, you've already read through some of that, so let me just now kind of tell you the story. You sit back and relax, and if you've got your Bible, you can look down at it. So there's a couple of details that are, that are quite staggering. Jesus goes up on a feast day, which means there's tons of people there. On a feast day, Jesus goes up. It's obviously a Sabbath day. And there's a man among multitudes of other people who are diseased, waiting for an angel to come down and to trouble the waters on these five porches. Now, in this place, which is called Bethesda, which literally means mercy, this place where people are anticipating mercy, Jesus walks up in the middle of that place, walks past the other multitudes of people who need cleansing and healing and help, and he chooses one man that, according to the scriptures, has been in his current condition for 30 years eight years. I've always found it intriguing how when Jesus comes to town and he does miracles, he never picks the person with a twisted ankle and acid reflux. I mean, he, he goes and gets the person who, like, you know, needs the triple bypass, growing two heads, you know what I mean, demon-possessed, rolling on the floor, foaming at the mouth, and then goes, everybody watch this. I love that about our Lord. Well, well, it's my contention that the Lord climbs into, he comes into our life and desires to do the same thing. But for what reason? In all of those encounters, these encounters, and let's, let's just kind of read through this uh, uh, just a bit. In all of these encounters, the Lord Jesus Christ, beautifully and wonderfully, it says, and after this, uh, G, uh, this Jewish festival took place, Jesus went up to Jerusalem at the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem called Bethsaida, or Bethesda uh, uh, in Hebrew, which, is, uh, uh, which has five colonnades or porches. Within these lay uh, a number of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving water because an angel would go down and, and trouble it, as I said earlier. And the first one, the first one to get into the water um, it, it, that was stirred up, they would be recovered from whatever ailment they had. And so Jesus picks this one man who's been sick for 38 years and asks him if he wants to be healed. After Jesus heals the man, he then stands up, takes his bed. He says, take your bed and walk. And as he's walking, Jesus' opponents, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, see him and say, hey, man, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath day? I've always been intrigued by that. You have a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. I am absolutely certain that that was known around town, just like the other blind guy who, who Jesus spat in the mud and put the salve in his eyes. Like, people know these guys who have been needing healing for years and years, and their first focus is the fact that he's carrying his bed. It can tell you, surely the religious leaders are not in sync with the agenda of God. But follow me carefully here. As the, as the, after the man is healed, Jesus then, according to the scriptures, withdraws into the multitude. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, approach, and they say to him, why are you carrying your bed? And he says, well, the man who made me well told me to carry my bed. And he said, well, where is this guy? Jesus then finds the, 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 the man who was formerly paralyzed in the temple and says, it was me. 
He says, now I want you to, I want you to tell, and you can now tell people that it was me. Now, what's interesting about that is he finds him in the temple, which means he's showing himself to the religious leaders. He's paying homage to God and showing himself to the religious leaders. So they did be clearly known that he indeed has been healed. You see, this moment matters to us in the scriptures because it is what I would call a minuet of God's own plan of salvation for each one of us. That is, each one of us are currently outside of Christ, or if we are outside of Christ, we are a people who find ourselves laying helpless, hopeless, with no one to, 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 that, can, that can pull us forward. In other words, like, just like the man lying there, we, the man at the pool of Bethesda is, is been lying, he's been in that condition for 38 years, virtually the majority of his life. For our sake, when it comes to us in sin, we've been there all of our lives. And it is the Lord, not based on any criteria that we bring to the table, who comes and chooses us, and in that choosing, then heals us of our malady, shows us mercy. That is, we didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us. We deserve something else, but God gave us more or greater than what we deserved. And so in choosing to heal this man, to pick him out amongst the multitude who also, they needed healing as well. In other words, this man didn't bring to the table any criteria that made him worthy to be healed over anyone else. It was God's own initiative to show mercy. This is exactly what our salvation looks like. But then in that, what's the point? The point is this, is that in many cases, being in step with God will sometimes put us out of step with others. Being in step with God will sometimes put us out of step with others. The man who is healed, he is then out of step with what the culture expects. He takes up his bed on the Sabbath day. But not only does he take up his bed on the Sabbath day, but this, this moment matters greatly because in the show of mercy, here's where all of us should find ourselves. A people who need to, uh, uh, other people need to both see us modeling publicly what God has done for us personally. The world needs to see us modeling publicly what the Lord has done in our lives personally. This great show of mercy that this man at the pool of Bethesda has received needs to be shown. It needs to be advertised. It needs to be, it needs to be uh, uh, made, made a big thing in front of others. It shouldn't be kept a secret. And this is the story of our lives as well. Whatever God has done in our lives for us personally, we should showcase and model that publicly. This is the rhythm of God. Picking us out of a multitude of broken people, picking us out of a lifetime of brokenness, picking us up out of a, a, a predicament of total hopelessness, which no one else could save us from, picking us up to be an advertisement of God's unique loving kindness. This is what it means to be in sync with God, is to show the world what God has, show publicly what the God has done for us personally. But in doing that, you had better believe that in step with God, we will sometimes also be out of step with others. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For while we were still helpless, just like the man at the pool of Bethesda, all of us were in this condition, while we were all still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone uh, die for uh, a just person. Therefore, a good person, perhaps sometimes one might even dare to die. But God proves his own love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are indeed the man at the pool of Bethesda. Helpless, hopeless, no one else could fix our condition, a lifetime of helplessness and struggle, a dubious uh, a predicament, but why does God choose to step in? 
to not only benefit us and bring us out of the predicament, but that we might also be an advertisement of God's mercy and love and kindness. One of the things that we should not get wrong about mercy is if you look at verse 14, I think this is clear. It says, after this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse does not happen to you. Here's one of the great places where I believe that our lifestyles, if we are in sync with God, will be out of sync with the world. Many of us in the world and even in the church at times can interpret mercy as a hall pass to continue in sin. I dodged the bullet. I didn't get what I deserved. And it somehow encourages us to continue. But that's out of sync with God's plan. Jesus tells the man who had been healed, do not, do not continue in sin lest something worse befall you. He has been shown great mercy. You see, mercy is God's calling card to model for the world God's loving kindness, not to model before the world, I got away with it again. This is crucial for us to appreciate when we think about and model and showcase and talk about the great things that God has done in our lives and even the way that we interpret the near misses of life. And so um, this moment in the life of the man who has been healed is a moment that we can all share. But why does this moment matter to what we're getting ready to talk about in this engagement with the Pharisees. It matters because Jesus could have chose to heal him on a Monday and avoided this whole Sabbath day debacle. Jesus could have invited the man to his house privately and just said, hey, I'm going to do this for you. Don't tell anybody. He could have done it under the cover of night. He could have done it at, he, he, he could have done it on any day other than a festival day where there'd be tons of people around. So why is it that Jesus is doing this so publicly? Why does Jesus intentionally do things that would set the teeth of his opponents on edge? I mean, does he not know that if you want to plant and grow a church, you have to be cool and likable and that you can't do anything that is controversial? Doesn't he know that if you want droves of people to come and check you out, that you have to minimize how much stuff you do and say that's going to rub them the wrong way? I mean, what kind of church is Jesus trying to build? But over and over again, both his miracles and the messages that follow seem to rub people the wrong way. Even the timing of the miracles seem to rub people the wrong way. Now, is God or is Jesus just a glutton for punishment? He did say that if people follow me, and per- if you follow me, those that hate me will also hate you. That if people persecute me, they'll also persecute you. But why is it Jesus seems to regularly put himself in harm's way? I want to... I wanna, posit this, I don't believe that Jesus is looking to put himself in harm's way, but he is simply doing life according to a different drum. And it is always in life we should expect, grow comfortable with, and almost relish the idea that if we're doing life based on a different drum, that there will be conflicts. There'll be times in life that are slightly awkward and uncomfortable. Many of you, as you have been out sharing your faith, you've probably encountered a few awkward moments, or maybe you've done it in a time where your job says you're not supposed to talk about that at work, or with people who say, I'd rather not hear about your Jesus. But but listen, doing life on a different schedule, on a different synchronization, on a different harmony, on a different beat, doing life on a different rhythm involves being prepared for conflict and contrast. Jesus isn't looking for a fight. He is simply committed to doing life on the same rhythm as his Father, and those who have friction with it then we have to have an encounter. And that's exactly what we've got here. 
When we look at verses 16 through 18, there's something that we need to dig into a little bit further. It says here, therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because of the things, uh, because he did these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying to all the more kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So right here, this is the pinch point of the passage. They want to kill Jesus, not because he heals, because of when he does it. And they want to to kill Jesus, not because he heals and when he does it, because he also says that he is in sync with God, but not in sync, not just on the same page, but that God is his father. This brings out another point for us, and that is being in harmony with God may bring out hatred in others. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are so judgmental? Well, if you tried to share your faith with others, yeah? Have you, have you, have you, uh, have you heard the, the phrase that, that, that you know, I, I can't, you, you Christians are always such hypocrites that every time you share your ideals about life and your perspective, every time you talk about the rhythm and the principles by which you live, you are branded as being judgmental. You're just operating on a different rhythm. And we need to get accustomed to that. Not that we're looking for a fight, but we need to recognize this. Our biggest fear should not be to curry and find favor with those that we encounter. Our biggest fear should be, do my words match my witness? The things that I say, do they match exactly how I live? So now, backing up into the text, we need to ask a question. Why is it that Jesus apparently is not following the Sabbath requirement, right? So let's talk about Sabbath a little bit. Uh, The Sabbath, from the perspective of the religious leaders, is a day designated by God found in the Mosaic Law, Exodus chapter 16, uh, where you are are to work a some number of days, and then you are to not work on this particular day or the seventh day. This particular day is to be reserved or to be set aside for rest and reverence and worship, and no one is to work. And as we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the Pharisees had actually set up an even broader set of laws to try to keep or help protect people from doing things on the Sabbath. But they considered themselves to be the vanguard of personal righteousness. And so they were the keepers of the law, if you will, or they thought themselves to be the keepers of the law, the front runners of what real righteousness looks like before God. And so this is why they're really upset with Jesus for encouraging this man to take up his bed and to walk. But here's the problem. Jesus steps in And as he begins to to talk with him, he really educates him about the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath predates the law. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible tells us that after creation, the Lord rested and and he rested from his work of creation, and he sanctified the seventh day. And when he sanctified that day, it was his intent that we would also walk in that same rhythm. He rested from his work. Not that God was tired, but he took that time to rest and to reflect on the beauty of what had been done. In the Garden of Eden, as God created man and sanctified that day, it then became, it was imported into the way the Jews lived their lives. It was a way of creating synchronization between the creature and the creator. It's reflected in the book of Matthew when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The whole life of the believer is, 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 is built around synchronization or trying to get in sync with what God is already doing in heaven. But this invite that God makes for mankind to participate in the Sabbath is less about a day and it is more 
about understanding a person. Hebrews gives us some great insights into this and what God's plan was when it came to rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it says, Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you miss it. For we also have received the good news, just as they also did, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Since they were not united with those, it did not unite uh, with those in their heart uh, who heard it by faith. For we have believed that we enter rest in keeping what he also said. So I swore in my anger that they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about a seventh day in this way. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Since it remains that some, uh, for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of their disobedience. So what we realize is that entering into God's rest was never about keeping a day. It was about establishing a rhythm that matched God's rhythm. And that rhythm was, was, was commanded or created by our obedience. And we also see now that the, the, the keeping of the Sabbath is not keeping a day. It is actually about following a person, establishing a rhythm. Well, whose rhythm? How do we establish this rhythm? The rhythm that Christ keeps. Notice that when Jesus was encountered by the religious leaders, they asked him, why was he healing on the Sabbath? And he says, my father is still working, therefore I continue to work. In other words, the whole idea of Sabbath is to match my life or to have my life, to mirror the Lord's life. In the Garden of Eden, when we were made, we were made in his image so that we would be a mirror of him, so that we would multiply for him, that we would be a moral compass, we would be like him. Our whole lives as God's creation is intended to be a constant reflection of what God is doing in heaven. What would his attitudes look like if expressed through us? Or in the marching band analogy, if God was doing that, if God was playing that flute or playing that trumpet or had this gift, what would it look like? What would be his role? What is our role in that moment? How do we reflect the genius of the creation or the creator in our respective role in the creation? This is what the Sabbath is all about. It is about being in sync with the Lord. But in our Lord Jesus Christ, he is wonderful in his way of both unpacking the law and showing us how the, the, the keeping of the day doesn't give you righteousness. It's being in keeping with the synchronization and the heart and the rhythm of the Father. Paul gives us a little bit more insight as to the unique role that the, all of the law, not just the Sabbath, is supposed to play in our lives. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, uh, before this faith came, we were confined under law, imprisoned until the, the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we would be justified by faith. This whole, some of your Bibles may say schoolmaster. So the image that we're being invited here, into here is in ancient Near Eastern families, there would be a person that would accompany a child as they left from home to go to school to make sure that nothing happened to them. And Paul says that that was the role of the law. The role of the Mosaic law was to be our guide, to keep us, to give us some boundaries, to keep us from going left or right, from straying off of the path to the ultimate destination that God was leading us to, and that ultimate destination being the Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole law was about establishing a rhythm. This is what the rhythm of God looks like. Follow these things, and then if you follow these rhythms, you'll actually find the drum major, so to speak. This is the whole goal of the law, is to get us in, in sync with God. But there are those 
who upheld the law more than they did the Lord that it was supposed to lead us to. And so as a result, they found themselves in a regular place of conflict with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole idea of Sabbath is this, synchronizing my life with God, and that's exactly what Jesus models for us. But in that synchronization, he seems to be out of sync with the public, out of sync with the culture, out of sync with the rest of the world. So if being in step with God will sometimes put us out of step with others, we can recognize this also, that being in harmony with God may bring out hatred with others, but there's something else. That is being in rhythm with God comes from being in relationship with his son. We are not able to catch up to the rhythm. The Bible tells us that in trying to follow the law, we always miss a beat. We're never able to fully keep up with the tempo of God. We can never perfectly meet his criteria. And as a result, by faith, we need someone that will help us to do that. In doing that, verses 19 through 24 have some insights. Jesus says, then, um, Jesus said, then, I re- then he replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees his father doing. And whatever his father does, the son does these things in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he, and he will show greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to anyone he wants to. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, so that all people will honor the son just as they honor the father. See the synchronization there? Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes in me or believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment and but has passed from death to life. So Jesus tells us clearly that if you want to get back in rhythm with God, you have to have a relationship with him. Verse 19 is very compelling. He says, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but he does exactly what he sees his father doing. Why is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ essential for establishing a proper rhythm with God that may put us out of rhythm with the culture? Here's why. Jesus models for us, he shows us a life that is in one accord with the father. If Martin Luther King was the drum major for justice, then Jesus Christ is the drum major for righteousness and all other things. I mean, this is what relationship looks like with God. This is the tempo. This is the vigor. This is the pace. This is the intensity. This is the direction. If we follow Christ, even if you can't see the Father, if you follow him, you will model the rhythm and the appetites, the desires of the Father. And that's what it means to be out of sync with the Father, is our, our ambitions, our philosophy of life, all those things are no longer matching up with his. But to follow the example of Christ. So in Christ, he shows us a life that is in one accord with the Father. How does he show it? Is it just through the stories? Well, if you look at Jesus' life, look at the incredible humility that Jesus models at Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. Even Jesus, right? Even Jesus models before us, uh, could, could at any point choose his own rhythm, but he chooses the Father's rhythm, and he shows us what that looked like in the most crisis moments of life. And let's just be honest. Following Christ is fun. Following Christ is easy. Following Christ is cool when we are embedded with a bunch of other Christians. But the moment that we begin to incorporate non-Christians into our social circle and do life in the world, all of a sudden, it's no longer cool. We feel awkward. We feel geeky. We feel out of step. And you should. 
but that doesn't mean that you should stand down and stop living with the same robust tempo that you know God has called you to. I'll be honest with you. If you don't feel out of step and out of rhythm in this world, I can tell you there's only, one, there's only two reasons. Either you are not saved and the rhythm that you're living by is your own rhythm, or you have insulated yourself with a bunch of other believers and people who think exactly like you and you have no access to the world. You're not growing in your relationship with the world. Does that, that feel uncomfortable? Yeah? Okay. Hope you don't leave. <laughs> you know, that's not in a handbook, right? Show us a life. He shows us a life in one accord. So Jesus lives this incredible humility. He lives a life of incredible integrity. This, he shows us the way. He's tempted in all points as we are, but yet always responds through the lens of the scripture. Right? You remember when he was tempted with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? All of the same temptations that, we, that we, we find ourselves in fall in those main categories. And Jesus says, this is how you combat that. One, being filled with the Spirit, but two, following God's Word. Three, not being ashamed, being unabashed in your ability to both know the Word and to preach the Word to yourself and even to your sin. Jesus didn't have any sin, but we ought to be preaching to our sin. We ought to be preaching to ourselves. How is, this at a, how is this an abandonment of the rhythm of God in my life? Jesus shows us how to do that. And so if we follow his example, we follow the rhythm of God. Jesus also models incredible dependency. I mean, being in the form of God, thought or not, robbery be equal with God, but, but Jesus says, hey, I'm the true vine and my father is the, is the farmer. He's the vine dresser. He's the one that's taking care of everything. So Jesus models beautifully before us. He shows us what authentic humility integrity, and a lifestyle of dependency upon the Father looks like. And so if we follow his example, we follow the rhythm of God. In verse 21, Jesus does something else. He says, and just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to, to anyone that he wants to. Not only does the Son show us life, but he also clothes us with a life that can only come from the Father. In other words, he gives us a new uniform. Have we got our steel image available? I want to, I'll preach to you, but I need to talk to the screen for a minute. All right, here we go. So I want you to follow this. Um, there's 195 people on that team. Can you tell me, can you tell me who has the highest GPA? Can you tell me who's a junior? Can you tell me who's a senior? Can you tell me who's black? Can you tell me who's Asian? Can you tell me who is male or female? Can you tell me who attends Bible study every week? Can you tell me who only attends Bible study once a month? You can't. Why? Because they're all clothed in the same uniform. You see, in Christ, our differences do not become insignificant, but they are swallowed up in him. You see, the Lord sees us as Christ. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. In other words, God looks at us and he sees us. This is the, this is the uniform. You look like my son, right? Each of them wearing a uniform. But listen, they don't lose their identity, but their identity is then clothed by another identity. And this is what we're called to in this life of trying to be in sync with God. We clothe, when, when we say, Lord, I want to be on your team, I want to be in community and communion with you, he says, all right, here's the uniform. This is a guy in a big puffy hat up front wearing, you know, all burgundy with tassels on his shoulders. You're going to have a uniform look just like his. I see you like that. But Lord, I don't have rhythm. <laughs> don't worry about it. Lord, I can't dance. Don't worry about it. Lord, I'm not, as, I'm not as good on the flute as the person in front of me. Don't worry about it. I mean, let me ask you this. 
who out there is the best or the worst trumpet player? Could you tell? No, because it was swallowed up in the, in the collective grand scheme of what the conductor is doing through that group. This is exactly what we are called to in Christ, to be further clothed by him. He clothes us in righteousness. We do not have a talent or a righteousness of our own. Yes, we have gifts and skills because somebody's got to carry the cape, right? Somebody's, like, yeah, we have individual roles that we play, but notice how the individual roles do not lessen our role or do not lessen our membership in, the, in, in what God is doing. And so in Christ, we are clothed with a life that can only come from the Father. He gives us a new uniform in him. But in having given, given us that, it does not diminish our responsibility to stay in sync, Right? I mean, there are those who probably are far more skilled at playing their respective instrument than others. There are some who maybe didn't study the music last night. But guess what? If they'll just march in community, they might pick up the rhythm. So Christ has given to us as a way of relationship, of reestablishing rhythm with God. It only comes from our relationship. When we place faith in him, we then follow his lead. He shows us a life that is in one accord with the Father. He clothes us in a life that only comes from the Father. But then he does something else. He leads us in a life that bears witness to the Father. After this skirmish or this run-in with the Pharisees, Jesus goes through a series of talks about how his witness is true. One, the Father is witnessing to them through the works that he does. Two, how the works witness of him. Three, how John the Baptist witness of him. And then he says, finally, you read the scriptures and think that you have life in them. Guess what? The scriptures witness of me. In much the same right, in much the same regard, Jesus does something in our lives and he leads us in a life that bears witness of the Father. In other words, here, if we go back to our still image, when we go back here, we know that there are individuals. But what is the most striking thing that we see? Are we impressed by the individuals? Yes. But what are we impressed by? Their ability to work together and model something that was created by whoever the conductor is. They collectively come together, and their collective witness leaves us to be impressed with a person on the sideline who we probably, right there next to that little ladder, his back is to us, we'll never know, or we never know their name or face unless we research it. This is the role of our Lord. In other words, our lives collectively begin to reflect the grandeur and the splendor when we're doing what we're supposed to do in sync with him. And so it leads us in a life that bears witness to the Father. Doesn't matter if you can't dance, doesn't matter if you can't sing, doesn't matter if you can't create, doesn't matter if you miss a note, all of that gets erased in the collective witness of this group working together. The same applies to you and I. When we find our life in Christ, we find new rhythm in him. And your finding rhythm in him, us placing our faith in him, is not contingent upon your individual skills or ability. It's only contingent on will you trust that tiny person right there, virtually obscure to the rest of us, as he is doing this. Will you trust and that's the call into the Christian faith. Not that you've got to be better than the person next to you. And that is the call that, that we should be making to those that we are inviting to Christ. Not that you've got to raise your moral game. Will you trust God to do a work in you that only he can do? Will you trust God to clothe you in righteousness? And that clothing will actually conceal your insignificance, your in whatever your, your, your incorrectness 
all the things that, are, that make you out of sync with God, he wants to address them his way. And that's why we are called to place faith in Christ and establish a new rhythm to our lives. But we need to be prepared to know that that rhythm will sometimes put us at conflict with our culture. And that's not an indication that you're doing it wrong. That's not an indication that you're, that you're losing friends or whatever. Maybe you are. But when the Lord moves in our lives and asks us to open our mouths and share, regardless of how comfortable, regardless of how out of sync it seems with the world, do that. I'll never forget the time when the disciples were thrashed and beaten, ran out of the temple, and they were laughing and rejoicing because they were persecuted for Christ. And it was one of the first times as they shared the gospel that they felt like they were on the same page or in sync with Christ. They said, Jesus said this, we would be persecuted too. Hallelujah. We're being persecuted too. And so we are called to place this deep kind of faith in Christ, that he might show us, clothe us, and lead us, regardless of anything else that we bring to the table. This is the invite. But in doing that, in doing that, there will be no doubt that we'll rub the culture, we'll rub the in-laws, we'll rub the cousins, we'll rub the other families, we'll rub our, our, our other people that are close to us, and we love, we'll rub them the wrong way. But do not shy away from the friction. Step into it knowing that you are living on a rhythm that matches that of the Christ. Obedience is never out of style. Obedience is never out of sync. It's always the right rhythm. Choosing to honor and serve and to love God is always the right rhythm. Your Lord Jesus Christ, who did it perfectly, wasn't liked by everybody. But here's another thing. The same work that we see Jesus doing that produces conflict with the Pharisees and religious leaders, the Holy Spirit does the same thing in us. We need to be prepared on a regular basis for the Lord to point out in our lives areas where we've gotten out of sync with him and not try to stuff our fingers in our spiritual ears and ignore the conviction, but to know that this is God's loving way of showing us this is the right rhythm. The reason that you feel uncomfortable about this is because it is not in sync with me. So let us not quench the voice of the Holy Spirit when we find ourselves feeling uncomfortable about where we are in Christ. We, we are in a highly medicated society that any, moment, any measures of discomfort, we immediately want to whisk it away by appeal or by a therapy. But there's some discomfort, there's some dissonance within us that is actually created by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that the Lord brings us anxiety, but let us not be so swift to try to get away from the feelings of conviction if the Lord is bringing something into our awareness that is out of line with God. Being uncomfortable is okay. We need to take that discomfort to Christ and say, what is this, Lord? Is this, is, is this where I'm out of step? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. We thank you and we praise you for this incredible model of your own life as you reflect the rhythm of the Father and you invite the creation back into that through faith in your Son. We ask, O oh God, that you would show us very explicitly the areas of our lives where we are out of sync with you and where we need to take a step back and put down our own drums, Lord God, or pick up the tempo and begin to follow your beat. Show us that, O oh God. We know we have these areas in every one of our lives. And may we in you be clothed, Lord God, in your righteousness. 
and not get hung up on our weaknesses and inabilities. May we be clothed, Lord God. May we be shown your example and not shy away from difficult times and difficult conversations. Lord God, may we be led to work in unison and synchronization with our fellow believers so that our collective lives bear witness of the beautiful master plan of our creator. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.